Hi everyone, welcome to episode 4 of the Merchant of Magic podcast. Uh, we're here in the shop with Ben Williams, Bonjour. and Paul Knight, Hello. and myself, Dominic Reyes. So, Ben, how's your week been? It's been good. Busy as ever, which is good. Can't complain. Yeah? Hmm. Uh, anything sort of happened that reflects back to help people with magic? Um, yeah, that was uh, the point we were sort of discussing a little bit earlier. I was at a gig at the weekend. It was a wedding, and uh, there was a good 12 tables to get round. And I did a, a bit before they sat down, and then the speeches started. <laughs> so I had a limited time to get round all these tables. The speeches went on a bit longer than I had hoped. <clears throat> and I think there was about three or four tables left to do when my contract time ended. Was this because they had the speeches at the beginning? Yeah, literally. As soon as I came and sat down for their, for their, uh, for their meal, the speeches started. And they were a good 40 minutes long or something. So, so you know, it's a nice little break to have. But... Uh, I was sort of sat there twiddling my thumbs thinking, I wish I could crack on with some of these tables, really. Were you clock watching Were you um, during your break? Not so much, no. I, you know, you just find a, a quiet place out the way that you can uh, make sure that you're ready, prepared and set to go as soon as they stop. Um, so that because also you're battling with the meals then as well because as soon as they stop, the waiting staff are doing the same thing. They're, they're waiting to get these starters out. Yeah. So, you know, it was a case of as soon as this, the speeches stop and the applause stops and everyone, you know, settles down a bit, it was just going to hit a couple of the tables which were not going to be served first. So I had a good few minutes to do each table. Uh, I, You know, I'd seen them pretty much all of them during the walk around session. So it was there was a lot less of getting to know the people and everything involved and they were all kind of anticipating me coming. But uh but yeah, you know, you get to the end of your contract time and, and what do you do? You know, technically, do you say my time's up or do you do what I actually did, which is stay so, an extra half hour? So where were they in the course of the, of the meal? By the, uh, by the end of the, the time allotted, they were doing the desserts. So by the end of my contracted time, it was around the dessert time. Oh, okay. So, so you didn't have that long. You probably had sort of maybe half an hour or so before. I had, I think, about 40, 45 minutes to get around 12 tables. Right. Desserts, desserts aren't too bad to compete with, though, are they? Because they're more relaxed. No, no, exactly. It's, it's yeah, but by the time the desserts came, my time was sort of up. But, you know, I, I'd never like to leave a gig and feel like, oh, I hope I don't get an email saying... We had some people complain that they didn't see some magic or something like that. And it's much, you know, I'm, I'm ready. I can do the tables. I, I didn't have anywhere to go, you know, so I was quite happy to stay on an extra half hour, make sure that everyone saw some magic, make sure the booker was really happy. You know, the bride and the groom were really happy. You know, it was just, and, and you end up getting much better testimonials, much better references you know, people understand that you're staying an extra bit of time and everything like that. So it just reflects a lot better on you. It's almost like... I think the issue can arise if you're going from that gig straight on to another gig. Yes. And you've built in sort of an hour and a half before for travel so that you can get there. I fully, I fully understand that and I agree with that. And, and if that is the case, then you should be addressing that with the booker at the beginning of your gig. If they turn around to you and say, well, when we sit down, the speeches are happening, you have to, you know, almost explain it to them before the gig so that they understand yeah. that. But I also know, you know, I'm, I don't 
know for certain, but I can certainly assume that some magicians may use that as an excuse to just get out on time because yeah. they don't want to do extra work. Yeah. But I find that, that going that, that extra mile really reflects back well on your character, reflects better, better in repeat bookings and everything like that. So before the event, maybe a few days before, or, uh, or do you do this during the time that you're contracting them, do you ask for a plan of how the, um, how the day is going to go, as in the speeches yes. being at the beginning or the end? Yeah, of course. Yeah. Um, I, most of the time, if I uh, do a wedding booking, I will have seen the people either at a wedding fair or I've at least spoken to them on the telephone. It's, you know, it's fine doing everything by email, but it can be a bit impersonable. You know, if you just... You plans just speak, can change last minute. Plans can well, change can last they? minute, but if you speak to somebody and you reassure them on the phone, it's a lot more... They feel a lot more comfortable than if, if you just reassure them via email. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, I'll certainly I'll ask what the, what the plan of the day is. If I haven't got that information before, as soon as I introduce myself to the booker, as soon as I arrive... That's one of the first things I say. So, so how's what's the format for the for the next few hours? That's you know, what's the layout? How, yeah. How's Probably everything going? Touch base with them. Touch base. Especially with like them. the restaurant manager. If you go into the if you go into the room where the, the tables are being set, mm. maybe everyone's outside and the photos are starting. Yeah. Just take a moment to speak to a restaurant manager and say, what time yeah. are they coming to sit down? Exactly. Yeah. And do you know whether the speeches are happening? Yeah. Just in case something literally has changed that morning. Sometimes you arrive at a gig and you won't see the person that books you. You know, you won't see them. They're off busy. They're off doing things. So you know, especially with weddings, they've always got some sort of wedding organizer that is taking care of the day who runs uh, who works for the venue and you can always find them you can always introduce yourself to them that's a great thing to do for future business anyway yeah. because they might get a couple that come in and say oh well, we need some entertainment and give them they, a card as well yeah of course give them a card you know reassure them make sure that they understand that you're professional and and you ask for the layout of how everything's going to be and you know staff other people they're more than happy to help out speak to the waiting staff and say which tables are you serving first yeah. You know, so that you can get a plan of how the room's going to, you know, start to be served food so that you can, you know, nab those last couple of tables You'll often first. find that they go from, from table number one to table t- number 20, or they'll go from the left-hand side of a room through to the... Through to the right, right. And you can yeah. work in the opposite direction. Exactly, exactly. That, that also works well because you don't perform during the meals. You know, I don't perform when someone's having their main course because that's... It just doesn't... You know, you're fighting. Basically, you're either saying... Watch me and forget about your food, or you're saying it's okay not to watch me if you want to eat your food, and neither of those are, are good situations to be in. You want their full attention, you want to be able to entertain everyone, you want the room to be buzzing with applause and things like that, and you're not going to get that if you're fighting with the food. So, you need to plan your time and manage it correctly. And <clears throat> I found buffets very difficult. And they've got a buffet on at a wedding. Buffets can be different. Yeah, it can, because suddenly a table stands up. There's no there's sure. no sense of timing, is you there? You treat that as a walk-around gig. Yeah. You treat it as a walk-around gig. You can't start looking at tables and trying to go, well, I'll go to that table they're and allowed, that table and that in their table. Minds, they're, allowed to, they're allowed to leave the table at any yeah. point and yeah. Yeah. flutter back. Yeah, they can do whatever they like. They like. So, so, yeah, it's walk-around, isn't it? Yeah, with, with, a, with a buffet, I, I actually like, you know, you start to approach people... And you you can quickly find out who the fun people are and everything like that. And they do tend to centre around certain areas. And so when you see somebody new with that group, yeah. if you remember the first person's name, you can go back and go, oh, hey, Sean, you know, and, and they will in, invariably go, ah, oh, great magician. You've got to see him. 
or something like that. Yeah. Or hopefully they'll go, great, Ben Williams, you know, uh, and say your name. This reminds me of a thing that happened to me. I was doing a gig, and a client never told us, but he decided it'd be great fun that between each course, everybody had to get up and swap tables. <laughs> and go and sit down. Nice. So after the starters, now every single table had half, had completely <laughs> random again. So, <laughs> and uh, that was that was great fun because you basically have to wipe all your material out and do fresh material at every single table. Yeah, yeah, was that's a challenge. Fun, or was it a huge headache? That's <laughs> <laughs> uh, right, actually, because because uh, I went back to the, like the dark corners of my close-up case where all yeah. that stuff that you put in thinking you're going to use but you never you never do it just sits there gathering dust and uh and found all the little bits that but uh, be everything in my close-up case (laughs) (laughs) but it's good i did a lot more card magic because i don't do a great deal of card magic uh, Mm. at the table so i found myself doing stuff that i was also doing a lot that i would normally do during walk around yeah and then adapting it maybe for the tables as well raising it up near your chest and trying to do yeah so although awkward i bet you walked away thinking I haven't done that in ages. Why haven't I done that effect so many times? Because you were put in that situation where you had to do it. I did, yeah. But then it all goes straight back into the close-up yeah, case. <laughs> I've never used it again. But you have your powerhouse routines. You have the routines yeah. that you work on, you know, every gig. And you change and sculpt your patter and the timing. Yeah. You, you're comfortable with it. You know it's got a strong reaction. You know, it's, it's like um, companies... Uh, that, that display their goods. They are never going to display something and take a chance on something being front of house in the shop. Yeah. You know, unless it's got a good, you know, either something... It has to earn its right to be it's there, It's got to earn it? its right to be there, exactly. Yeah. So so you're not just going to put anything there. Well, that, that comes back to your dilemma as well when you had the overrunning wedding in that um, I might... So sometimes you go to a wedding and uh, you might have a long reception. You might find out, yeah, it's a two-hours drinks reception... And then probably only an hour or an hour for the sit down and you've got 15 tables. So, you know, you're not going to be able to do your normal set of your, yeah. your primary, your prime tricks at each table um, and you have to scale it back. So it's kind of important as well yeah. to look at your whole act and say, well, if I had to, if I had to cut this act in half, how could I do it and still have a good beginning and a middle and an end? Yeah. Um, without thinking, oh, okay, I'm going to have to do my opener and then I'm going to have to go straight to my closer or I'm going to have to miss the closer out because it's a long trick. Do you know, depending on the situation, in a situation given like that where you've got a long walk around time and then very short amount of time in the meal before your contract's up and, you know, if you speak with the bookers, they generally understand that you're not going to get around every table. So what I like to do is I like to note who I've done in the walk around, who has sufficiently seen some great magic. Yeah. And then I'll concentrate on the tables that haven't seen me. Yeah. And, and make sure that if you're at a wedding, you do the top table or the bookers table, whatever, you know, the, the important VIP table, make sure you do them. But if you make it clear to, to the booker and to, to everyone that, that you're not going to be able to get around everyone, yeah. they generally understand that. It's, it's, it's common fine. sense. It's, it's now, when, when you go into a main room, do you always do the booker's table first? I do. So you've done your walk around and then everyone's gone to sit down. Do you go straight to the booker's or the bride's, the, the head table, and do that table first? Or do you go straight to a table of the people you know have are very loud and have a really big reaction because I, I like to do that I like to find if there's a table where I've been doing walk around and they've been really clapping and they've been loud about it I'll go to that table first 
before I do the... Because when everyone sits down, the bride and groom are having photos and they're still saying hello and things. But I'm getting a noisy table, so it's giving the message to everyone else that it's okay to clap. Yeah. It's okay to make a noise. Yeah. I sometimes try but and do a wedding, say, for example. I sometimes try and do a couple of tables near the top table first. Yeah. To, to get the react, like you say, to get the reactions, then approach the top table. Um, I don't know why. That's just the way I'm comfortable with it. But I like to get the top table out of the way soon. Yeah. Yeah. I don't. I used to save the top table, but it's it's not it's not good to save the top table. The top table is a special table. Uh, you know, there's the sayings best save till last, but they shouldn't. They're the ones that are either paying you or you know somebody on that table is the person paying you. So you should be entertaining them. Sometimes you get, you know, that's very typical of a uh, of a wedding or a party sort of uh, gig. But a corporate gig, sometimes the people booking you don't care. They don't want the. They want you to entertain everyone else. Yeah, so, that's it. So yeah. sometimes what I'll do is I will ask them. I'll say, "When do you want me to come to your table?" And they will tell me straight away, and then I don't have to guess. They'll generally say as well. Make sure you speak to. Make sure you yeah. focus on table seven. Yeah, um, yeah because indeed. you know we're halfway through negotiations with those clients. Yeah. Or yeah, like, um, I will say when that happens. When they say, "Make sure you focus on table seven and table 12, I used to hear that and think, "Okay, they're, oh, they're going to be great tables then," assuming they were going to be the best table there. But that's not mm. always the way. No, fact, not quite always the case at all. They're the best people for the business. Really business. For the, yeah. yeah, not for the uh, reactions, as it were. <laughs> so what did you do then? So you stayed extra time and... Yeah, I stayed extra sure time at I, I made sure that everyone got to see some magic. And, you know, I, I apologised to the tables that it took me time to get to. Uh, because... You know, when you've got a great gig and everyone's clapping at each table, the tables, there's always going to be a last table, you know, and that table invariably is going to feel like, oh, you know, well, we've seen they you say to you, oh, about. we've seen you being to everybody yeah, else. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what do you, what like, do you have a line for the that? best to last, that's what I say. <laughs> <laughs> I, some, it depends. It really depends on, on how they are saying it to me. Sometimes I will uh, give almost a, a slapstick exasperated, oh, God, I'm, you know, I've been trying so hard to get to you in almost sarcastic and a jokey sort of way, you know, but but these other tables, they kept grabbing me and I just couldn't do anything, you know, and if you act a bit silly like that, you know, they generally understand, you know, people understand anyway, they just, they like to voice their opinions because people like to voice their opinions. It's not that they're, you know, it's not that they're complaining as such, it's just they feel they have to say something. Quite yeah. often, the last table, I often get up to it and uh, I look exasperated and I'll say, at last I've made it to the fun table. <laughs> oh, <that's laughs> and that good. works pretty That's well. a nice line. Yeah, that is good. a nice line that's because good. that in, entices them to be fun. Yeah. You know? And yeah, sometimes you also get people that say, oh, you know, we've heard all these other tables clapping and cheering and everything like that. We were waiting for you to come here. And I turn around and I genuinely say, well, to be fair, I've been at every single table saying... Just, just applaud for me now. Just cheer for me now. I'm not even doing magic. In a moment, I'm going to ask you to clap and cheer. And that's going to be the same applause that you heard at all these other tables. So don't worry about it. It wasn't <laughs> anything special. But then you go and blow their mind with some great magic. So, yeah, That's good. Paul, how about you? Me? Well, I've been away a week. Um, so I haven't been doing any magic. But I was out eating quite often. and As you do? As you do. To and, survive? As I do. <laughs> And a couple of times I was sat there 
eating away, and I started to hear spectators talking, oh, spectators, general public. <laughs> <laughs> I was eating, and I had spectators <laughs> eating away, mm. um, and I was just heard customers sat there having a meal and chatting away about uh, magic they'd seen on TV recently. There's quite a few series is on at the moment and that was interesting because it got me thinking about spectators genuine opinion of magic and it made me re- made me remember when I used to after a booking um it's all very well to hang around in the bar area maybe for 20 minutes or so and ask people's opinions but um sometimes again honest opinion you've, you've got to be Inconspicuous, not there. Disassociated. Dis- completely disassociated. Um, well, we all, we're all so used to, you know, they come and, oh, that's fantastic. Oh, that's yeah. really good. Oh, thank you. You did a brilliant job. But it, you're kind of, you're not interested so much in that. You're interested in what they say between themselves. Sure. You want uh, to be a fly on the wall. You do, yeah. And also, um, then talking about how a trick, how did you do that? Yeah. Because it's interesting and the different theories that, that, um, people come up with and also how other people react to people coming up with theories of how he did that and also if you're listening in there's like a fly on the wall um you hear how this guy was explaining a routine on that he saw on tv and then he came up and as he was explaining it he was actually expanding the whole story of exactly how it was portrayed on tv oh of course yeah they they, they big it up so that their story is more interesting so uh that was interesting that's very interesting. It got me thinking. Got me thinking about how can you get an honest insight into what spectators think of your magic. Um, and a strange one is, I actually did this a couple of times after your booking. Go to the gents, sit in the cubicle, and just listen. <laughs> I know, I know, it's wrong, but <laughs> you but might be hearing was, some stuff that you don't want to hear, like yeah, bad reviews. Well, yeah, but it's an honest <laughs> review if that's the case. If yeah, well, it's good to hear that. It's, it's just as yeah, powerful no, course, to hear. If you hear them saying, you know, obviously you hear conversations you don't want to hear, so take your iPod with you, but um, there's things that you will hear that are completely genuine. Where else do people chat yeah. about I, genuine things, you know, with no one else listening? A, a great way to do that as well is if you're, in a, if you're working a room and there's, there's often like a curtained area, or that's a good place to be just behind with your close-up case. Yeah. And then you know that that table, the other side of the curtain, you're going to be able to perform, mm. go back round, reset, and that table, will, you'll be able to hear all of the, um, the feedback from you've them. Got, got so you can prepared. almost engineer it. You've got to be prepared to hear some things you might not want to hear. Yeah. But it's honest. It's an honest view. Um, that, was, uh, that was one of the tips that Eric Jones gave us, actually. He said that he wished that more... Uh, spectators have been honest with him through his learning process and through performing because it's only through honest feedback that you can improve yourself so if you can get over the the feeling of dejection of having some bad comments made then you can turn that into positive results by addressing those problems and then wiping them out eliminating them from your from your set you know if, if you know somebody might say oh you know, it was great, but I saw him, you know, put that card somewhere or something like that. And and then you can look at that and look at that moment in your routine or the the slights that you're using and really hone in on that and, and, and work out how to do it without them seeing it, you know, which you thought you already knew. But obviously you may have, maybe, maybe it was just a casual mistake, but, but as long as you can honestly analyze it, if you're going to get honest feedback, don't be dishonest to yourself. 
you know, honestly critique yourself. There's there's no point in critiquing yourself if you're not going to honestly look at yourself and say I do this right. Yeah, because you can look at the you can look at the feedback <coughs> and you can you can just say oh that guy doesn't know what he's talking about yeah. oh he's yeah. completely wrong but it, it doesn't actually matter if he knows what he's talking about or it doesn't matter if he guessed the wrong method. It's What's interesting opinion. is yeah what people guess whether it's right mm-hmm. or wrong you may be giving off. Um, clues to a wrong method but for a spectator it doesn't matter if it's a right or wrong method it's a method and therefore that's the answer and the solution to the trick yeah Yeah. um so a wrong method is just as dangerous as as the right one it's a a method yes um yeah that's 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 the most interesting thing that happened to me this week was just realizing you know you've got a you can't ask for an honest opinion from a spectator you can only listen in to an honest opinion yeah uh, yeah. good stuff well, talking about listening in, um, we've had a few emails from people that have been listening to the a podcast. Few? Well, quite loads, actually, <laughs> a yeah. So, guys, you know, we're getting loads and loads of questions in, um, so more than we can email every single answer through. So if we haven't replied to, to your email, if you've asked us a question, uh, we have read it, um, and it's stored in our folder, and we're working through the questions um, and we'll write some blog posts or we'll, we'll record something, but we'll try and address every question you've got. Um, but we, we do get way more than any of the team can answer personally from this. So, um, and we're really flattered and humbled by that. Thank but, you. But bear with us, we're not ignoring you. Um, now, one of the things that is being raised loads and loads of times, so if we cover this, we're covering over 100 different email inquiries about it, and that's small hands and the trouble that small hands cause, or not so, not so much the trouble that small hands cause, but the fear of small hands getting in the way of being able to do sleight of hand, yes, or possibly the excuse that small hands is getting that's, in the way of That's the hand. argument, isn't it? Um, I know for a fact one of my good friends is Alan Rorison, and he is tiny. He's self-confessed tiny person, and he has tiny hands, but he performs some of the best sleight of hand that I've seen people perform. Um, he has no qualms about palming or doing other other moves uh you know because he understands how to look at a move analyze it and adapt it to work for himself jay sankey jay sankey yeah lee asher yeah yeah tony hands Uh, al goshman going back a a bit of spongebob magic a lot of people are worried about that seems like a very slight driven Mm. you know concealing type branch of magic Small he hands. has got tiny hands. You've just got to look at the picture on the SpongeBob's box. Yeah, it's tiny. My whole thing's tiny. It's about six <laughs> inches by. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but, um, yeah I, think, I think it's a bit of a. What's the word? It's a bit of a false. A myth. A myth, yeah. Complete myth about having small hands and not being able to do these things. Um, now, don't get me wrong, there are, there are obviously limitations to um, certain things like. The, the distance that your fingers can stretch, you know, is a physical thing that you can look at. But what you won't realise is that somebody with large hands, very there's very, very few moves that will make their hands stretch to the extent that they can stretch. So a good a good tip is to uh, is to get some good warm up exercises for your hands. You know, flex your fingers, bend them. You know, give them a good stretch. Give them bend them back and forth. You know. Uh, Wiggle your fingers and and Grow your nails. Yeah, there's a there's there's a person <laughs> yeah. called there's a person called Greg Irwin who has a whole series of finger fitness 
DVDs and things. And it's all about different, uh, different. It's learning how to use your fingers properly, like clamping your hands together and being able to move uh, individual digits which you want to move. It's it's a lot harder than you think. To so you're crossing have that. over. Both, yeah, you're uh, crossing both your over first fingers, fingers cross certain clothes over, and then and straighten the up, fingers. and then the middle fingers, and the ring fingers, and yeah, there are techniques like that. But uh, when you watch him do it, he's lightning fast because he's been doing it so long. But he's got great stretching exercises for your hands. I think it's it's important to, you know, to understand this. You know, uh, if if you're going to be performing sleight of hand, then there is going to be manipulations and movements that are slightly uncomfortable and you have to get over that and you have to make it become natural and you know well essentially as well for things like um uh, palming providing you can place the playing card on your palm and there's still you can still see flesh around it you can palm a card you can palm a card that's a very good point dom um it's very true. And also, you've got to think about when you're palming. To be fair, cards. Ben told me that. <laughs> I'm saying <laughs> silently, like, grimacing. <laughs> to be fair, I was there when he told you. <laughs> um, but it's also a matter of... I mean, palming a card is, is the main thing, isn't it, that people worry about the size of their hand about. with. Yeah, absolutely. Um, don't forget, it's supposed to be natural when you're palming a card as well. But Yeah, for example, though... Um, when are you palming the card in the routine? Yeah. You know. Is it under misdirection? Is it when the deck's being burnt? But also, for example, I know when Alan has an issue, if he if he were to have an issue sort of palming something from a certain space in the deck or something like a side steel, maybe he'll he'll change it to a gambler's cop. You know, he'll he'll say, well, it won't quite work like that for me, but why not use that technique instead? Which is, you know, mm. a gambler's cop is fine. You can have the tiniest hands in the world and still perform a gambler's cop. Essentially, what you're trying to do is, without the spectators knowing, is move the card from the deck to another place. That's all you're trying to do, isn't it? So if you can't palm a card using the typical way, use a gambler's cop, like you're saying. Or it's, you know, there's, find another there's, way. Yeah, and you don't have to use standard-sized cards either. There's no? nothing that says that you have to use poker-sized playing cards. Yeah. Um, bridge size, switch to that. It's much smaller. Yeah. Yeah. Or oh, don't even use bicycle cards at all. There's loads of different brands of cards in all different sizes. Yeah. And it's only magicians that are so tied into the fact that we have to use bikes. To be fair, there's a lot of gaffes that are printed on the poker size playing card, so I can understand that. But like you say, you know, for, for straight sleight of hand with an ungimmick deck, there's no reason why you have to use a bicycle brand of cards or anything. I've like actually, that. a few times, been at a booking or even just out with friends, and I've taken out my cards, placed them down, and obviously this is in the UK. And they fit something bicycle, looking at the question bicycle. Why yeah. is it called bicycle? So people in the UK aren't really familiar with bicycle cards at all. Not at all. No. I've been using the NOC cards. Yeah, they're nice. Recently. They yeah. are nice. They look pretty standard, don't they? Like yeah, well, they, they are standard size, so it doesn't really minimal. relate to small hands. But, mm. but I just like the, the completely plain back. In, in minimal back design. It's just a plain block colour. Amazing for colour changing decks. Yeah, awesome for Chicago opener. Chicago as opener, well. Fantastic so you've got trip. you've got a blue deck and mm. you hit it and you go through and and you say, look, if you hit hit the deck, it will be secretly marked. Only magicians can see, and you spread through and it's sure. and it's bright red. Um, really nice. That's and nice. Um, yeah, so I'm pleased. With it. I think you can buy them every, everywhere now. Yeah. There's, there's very little detail on the back as well, which is nice. Isn't it? So it's just. This it's is a block of cards. It's a block no distractions. No. Yeah. I wondered whether um, 
using those as a replacement to an Omni deck. Good thinking. Possibly. I I can't see why. I can, well I can understand it. It would be a great kicker. It would be a great kicker to to have a, the deck completely change colour to a you know especially if if you had a few of them and you said to somebody just name a standard colour you know and they happen to say a colour of the deck that you had on you then that would be an amazingly strong finish. I don't know if it would ever replace the Omni deck for me. I I love I love the Omni deck. The Omni deck is not. It's it's just a complete transformation. It's it's a moment that is very hard to top, in my opinion. Well, did you mean sorry? Did you mean changing from one of these decks to an Omni deck? No, I meant changing from a nor- normal set of bikes to a different. Brand. Yeah, so you take out their card remains of a right, bike, okay. but then when they lift their hands up, it's the only. Uh, all of, yeah, all of them have turned blue. All of them have turned red. Done, yeah. Well, so you could you could easily brush over that in, in patter as well. Just say you know, like um, if you were to name a colour right now, what would it be? And if they said blue, and you know that you got that deck on you, then right at the end you can say, do you remember right at the end, right at the beginning, you actually thought, randomly thought out of all the colours in the world, you randomly thought of one colour and it was blue. Yeah, and that's a good now idea. Look at the cards. And, oh, and if they don't mention, if they mention any other colour, switch to um, um, switch to the Omni deck. Yeah. And maybe could, talk about removing the colour altogether. No, no, I would just... Well, you could do that, obviously. Fair play, you could say that. But I would... If they, if they named... Yeah, if they named a colour that I didn't have, just don't refer back to it. It's just something you could you could uh, tie it in with, you know, saying, like, you know, if you're pretending to explain mind reading, you could say, I could have predicted that, but I'm not a mind reader, or something like that, and brush over it. Use Or you could just say... So you want them to say blue, they say green. You say green, interesting. Um, green, this might just work then. And then don't refer back to it. Yeah, yeah that's good. Yeah. yeah. Leave it as it works with people who think green. I don't know. Yeah, no, no, no. You know, you could, yeah, you could use it as like a, a ploy to understand the, the way that their brain works more. Yeah. You know, and apply all those psychological things that, that we all know. Yeah. But this doesn't have anything to do with small hands at all. It's got nothing to do with small hands <laughs> whatsoever. <laughs> we've gone off on a small Although tangent. you can use them with small hands because we've talked about the fact that it makes no difference. Exactly. It, it shouldn't make any difference. You know, it's, uh, I can understand there's a confidence issue and I can understand there's doubt. I've doubted myself many times when, when learning magic, but it's, it's how you deal with that doubt. It's how, you, it's how you turn that into something positive. So do you think people are struggling with a sleight of hand and falling back on, oh, my hands are too small for this? Um, sometimes that can that seem like the only explanation for why they can't get something right. Whereas it might not be that you have small hands. It might be that your pinky is five millimetres in the wrong position. Or you have windows. Yep, maybe you have windows in your fingers or something like that. You know, it's, um, I'd say don't beat yourself up too much about it and stop looking at your hands when you're trying to do it. Yeah. Look up, look where the audience would be. Yeah. Um, that's exactly it. Maybe then it takes all focus away from the fact you were <clears throat> trying to conceal the card. Well, maybe you feel that you know you've been busted by it because you have small hands, whereas maybe it's your anticipation of having to do the move that's drawing attention to it. So you speed up and you try and hide it, and by doing so, you, you're telegraphing it. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. Hope that helps. <laughs> Okay, the other question that I wanted to cover today, we've we've run on a bit really, but um, Asad said that he's struggling with his sleight of hand. Um, he is having trouble when he's doing, when he's handling the cards, 
he's having trouble with uh, the section sliding about and slipping around and slipping and out like, of his hands. When he's cutting the cards. He, when he's it. cutting the cards, yeah, when he's holding them. He, okay. he, and if he doesn't move, he's finding they're not behaving, they're not staying as one deck. Alright. Slow okay. down. Yeah. Potentially. Maybe that's the case. Maybe maybe you're trying to do your move, movements too quick. You know, maybe you haven't learnt the core. Uh, if you practice something with sleight of hand it's always best to start it and break it down and do it really slowly as slowly as you can to understand the mechanics of it completely and only then when you understand that can you start to introduce the speed but it's and it's not just your mind it's not you learning it understanding it mentally but you're understanding it through your fingers as well yeah the muscle memory is building up yeah uh, and you're not aware of the different ways. I remember when, do you remember first getting your first deck of cards? Oh, yeah. yeah. And you're ready there. You've got Royal Road to Card Magic or, or Expert Card Technique or something, some book from the library. You've bought some cards, you hold them, and they just fall out yeah. of your fingers. Yeah. How you, do I spread the cards it says, to have a card selected? <laughs> yeah. I don't have any idea. Yeah. Yeah. The, uh, the, the, the grip, the, the dealer's grip, where you have your forefinger over the top edge of the cards and your other three fingers running down the edge and your thumb running down the opposite edge to your fingers, that felt so unnatural to me. It was like, what? You, you have to? Do I really have to hold the cards like this? And it felt so unnatural. But now can't hold a deck in any other way is that's and how you, it and you, you, that's you how pay no attention to it your fingers are just there. it's like breathing yeah you're obviously doing something because the cards stay where they are yeah and as you're handling them the packets are staying where you are but you're not consciously keeping them there in position it's all happening unconsciously and your, your fingers are actually doing it just from the muscle memory yeah if it's happening whilst you're flourishing uh and doing multiple packet cuts again i recommend slowing it down uh, and analysing each and every single move and all the packets and where your fingers are, uh, maybe going back to the tutorial DVD or the video or whatever that you've learnt it from, just so that you, you're re- referencing it so that you know your fingers are in the correct positions. Because when you're, when you're learning flourishing, it literally is so, such a small distance between success and failure with a finger positioning. You know, if your finger is, is just a few millimetres out, then doing a pivot might cause pressure in the wrong area of the deck and it might cause the cards to slip and fall or, or ping out of your hand or something like that. So, so go back to where you learnt it from and just double check that you... So speed isn't the goal, but the goal's technique. And the, the goal speed is, is a byproduct of, yeah, the of speed mastering the technique. It's, it's amazing when you see people like Dan and Dave, you know, in Dynamo and everyone doing these fancy quick shuffles and cuts and they're really quick and they're fast and they're furious furious and and you feel like that's amazing i want to do it but they never learnt at that speed you know they broke it down they they've all analyzed what they're doing and they understand why it works i'm no expert at flourishing but i remember years ago when i was learning it watched a dvd and the explanations were done the guy who had four clear blocks of plastic yeah to do each individual cut and that made me think to myself well, I'm struggling. My cards are flying everywhere. Why don't I just glue four packs of 13 cards together? Yeah, just put so some tape that, around it. And that worked. Just yeah, wrap some, some tape around the, the, the width of the deck. And the, that eliminated any frustrating error of the cards flying on the floor, picking them up, starting again. That, that can help learn with, with some, of the, some of the motor skills and some of the, the, the muscle memory. But you might find that when you go to a standard deck that 
you, they're spreading in, at times when they You're still going to have to tackle. You're still going to have to tackle it at some it, point. Yeah. It can, it can help, certainly it can help. Yeah. And, and, and especially with flourishing, sometimes there's a billion and one moves. So just learning the whole, uh, the whole process of that cut and learning, you know, start to finish what it is, then that can be ha- that can help yeah. definitely. Yeah. Or maybe try cards that aren't so slippery. An older deck, maybe. Yeah. Possibly. Yeah. Just work a deck in. You know, if you're using a fresh deck, then they slip around a lot. Okay, guys, we're out of time, so that's all for today. Um, thanks for listening. Um, make sure you visit the blog, which is blog.magicshop.co.uk. If you've got any questions at all, email us at support at magicshop.co.uk. And um, we'll do our best to answer them. And if we don't, then they go in a queue and we do a blog post or a podcast about it. So, <laughs> all right, cheers, guys. Bye bye. Bye bye.